If we haven't met, my name is Al Westerman. I'm the pastor here. And I know I say this all the time, but I'm actually really excited to be preaching here this morning. This is, so we're in a series called Dinner with Jesus. And if we're talking about a dinner, this isn't like one of those microwave dinners that's a heat and eat. This is something that's been in the crock pot for a long time. Or if you like steak, it's like a dry-aged steak. This is something that God has been working in my life for years now. And this is a message that I've preached to myself a lot. God has really been convicting me and illuminating things to me about this. And so what I'm preaching to you today is not... It is something that I read in a book, but it's something that I've lived for several years. So we've been in this series called Dinner with Jesus, and we went in with the intention to just see what the Bible says. Let's look at the dinners that Jesus has in the book of Luke, and let's just see what happens. Let's see if there are any themes. Let's see if there's anything that comes up more than once. So I'm curious, and this is an actual question, if any of you have noticed any themes? Have any of you noticed any reoccurring themes throughout the sermons? It's a a bit of a noodle scratcher. I'll give you a sec. You at home, you can write it in the chat if we have a chat. Someone give me a bad answer, just so someone gave me an answer. Dinner. Dinner, yes. Thank you. There was that theme. That's amazing. So the theme that I've noticed is humility. I think every single message, to some extent, has centered around humility. If you remember the dinner with Matthew. Matthew had to give up a lot to follow Jesus. He had to give up a lot of wealth. He had to give up his status. But he he gave that up and he chose something greater. Jesus shows humility all the time and he is the perfect version and vision of it. The Pharisees, we see in several times, they kind of got it wrong, didn't they? In the story with Matthew, they didn't believe that they were that they needed a savior, or they were more focused on other people's bigger need for a savior than their own, and they failed to see themselves in that. Last week, we talked about how they felt like their knowledge was sufficient, and they didn't need to grow anymore in their knowledge. A couple weeks ago, we talked about how he, Simon the Pharisee was comparing himself to the woman that, was, uh, that anointed Jesus' feet. And In this, he felt like he was self-righteous enough that he didn't need more. There was a lack of humility shown there. And then there's the beautiful humility shown by that woman, the woman that Jesus anoints. uh, Sorry, that anoints Jesus. She cares about nothing else except for being at Jesus' feet, being close to him, being reconciled by him. It is a beautiful show of humility. And, And Mary the same. Mary does the same thing. Now we, again, we didn't go in with any agenda. This is just what I've happened to notice. And I think it's a really important thing to talk about because I believe that humility is one of the most poorly defined words that we have. 
I think a lot of us have a poor conception of what humility actually and truly means. I've heard so many people use it out of context. And so this is what I want to do today. I want to define or redefine humility. And then I want to talk about that humility brings confidence. Humility brings security. And humility brings opportunity. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. We thank you that we can be here gathered today. And God, my prayer is simple. God, would you remove distraction? Would you allow us to focus in on the message that you have specific for each person here today? Thank you that you are here with us, Lord. I pray that you bless me and allow me to speak your words. Amen. I mentioned a couple weeks ago that I have argued a chiropractor on chiropractic. Uh, let's use the word debated. It's maybe a nicer word. I've debated a natural path on nutrition. Uh, I, I tend to bat outside of my league, so to speak. One of my first classes in university, I went to my professor and I said, I'd like to debate the textbook. He said to me, probably a terrible idea, but go ahead. And so I went on to share what I thought was wrong in the textbook. And he actually agreed with me, which I thought was surprising. But the idea here is that I'm not necessarily content with just the way that things have been, with the way that things are going. I like to look at the why of things, and I like to understand the truth of the matter. I like to get beneath the reason. And if I find out that what we've been believing or thinking all along was correct, awesome. But let's be willing to look at it. Let's be willing to get beneath the surface on a little bit. And, and I want to I do that with this word humility, because I've heard even pastors use this out of context. I've, I heard a celebrity pastor one time say, oh, but my wife keeps me humble. And what he means when he says this is a lot of people really elevate celebrity pastors so much so that they say their, their farts don't stink. But my wife, my wife will be the one to point out where I fall short, where I botch it as a husband or a father, or where I messed up my sermon. My wife will be the one to be able to point that out for me. Meaning my wife will take me down a peg, and that's somehow humility, and that that's somehow a good thing. It's, it's, it's a poor understanding of the word. The dictionary has a lousy definition of humility. Don't quote me on that. <laughs> this is how the dictionary defines humility. They say that it is a modest or low view of oneself. So a low view of yourself is humility. Question, who is the most humble person to have ever lived? Okay, I predicted Brian was going to say Moses, but <laughs> it was there. I was happy to hear. He, he, yeah. yeah, that's right. Self-proclaimed most humble man alive. Also, uh, Will Smith has gone on record to say, when it comes to humility, I'm the greatest. 
So if Jesus is the most humble person to have ever lived, and this is supposed to be a good thing, then we have to ask, did Jesus have a low view of himself? No. We're going to talk more about that in a little bit, but this definition can't be accurate because Jesus didn't have a low view of himself, and Jesus was the most humble person to have ever lived. Second definition is, is slightly better. It's being free from arrogance. I would say this is more of a manifestation than a definition, meaning this is one of the outcomes of humility, but it's not, it doesn't actually say what humility is. Uh, a definition that I got from a psychologist is it's understanding or grasping your role in the bigger scheme of things, which allows you to not take successes or failures too personally. That's fine, but it doesn't really say anything. It doesn't really clearly define what something is or isn't. C.S. Lewis has my favorite definition that's been listed so far, and He's, and mind you, his is probably supposed to be more of an explanation than a definition, but he says that humility isn't thinking less of yourself, which is true, but it's thinking of yourself less. So that's true, and I like that. It isn't making yourself smaller. It isn't saying bad things or having your wife say bad things about you. It does involve taking the spotlight off of yourself and shining it onto other people. And when you are properly humble, you're able to do that. So here we are, we're talking about what humility isn't. Now, why don't we talk about what humility is? And in order to do that, we're gonna to need to look in a book. And we're gonna to turn to John 13. If you have a Pew Bible, that's page 874. If you have been with us, we've been going through the book of Luke, and we've been looking at dinners with Jesus. Now, the Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and each one of the Gospels is another perspective on the life of Jesus. In John, we see another one in the last, dinner, uh, last supper where Jesus washes his disciples' feet. This is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. So this is the same one that we're going to look at in Luke 22, the same dinner. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world. He had loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Okay, check this out. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. 
No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you will have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter said, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean. Did you catch that in verse 3? I'm going to read verse 3 again because verse 3 is so important to understanding humility. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and he was returning to God. Don't miss the significance of this moment and the place in which it is in the Bible. This is a moment where Jesus is coming into a greater and deeper revelation of his significance, of his authority, and of his value. Saying that he is understanding this, perhaps to a new degree, Jesus is really, truly, deeply understanding his value. And that's what I think humility is. I believe that humility is understanding your value. So much so that you don't need to prove it to anyone. You look at Jesus' life, he didn't ever have to prove anything to anyone. Jesus was able to do the role of a servant. In this moment, he has this incredible revelation from God. And in that moment, it actually says, so, he got up and was able to serve. He was able to serve from this understanding of identity. And identity is huge in this. Identity is absolutely massive in this. How we identify is crucial. And it's interesting because the opposite of humility isn't pride. I think a lot of us probably think it's pride. The opposite of humility is actually insecurity. In fact, the root of pride is insecurity. I don't know how you feel when you hear me say that. I don't know if this is a new thought to you. I can tell you how I felt when I heard that for the first time. I felt like it was dumb. I felt like that was one of the dumbest things that I had ever heard, that they were absolute polar opposites. But do you ever have that with the truth? The, the truth just somehow gets in you and the Lord causes it to stir within you and you continue to think about it and contemplate it and eventually you get to see that he's right. How many of you know that when you wrestle with the truth, the truth always wins? And that's a really good thing. I began to look at my own life. When I was grade seven, grade eight area, I was not blessed with fantastic genetics. If you were to take the 10 categories that mattered most to someone grade seven, grade eight area, uh, good grades, good looks, uh, athletic ability, friends, popularity with the ladies, the list goes on. 
I was somewhere near the bottom of all of those categories. Of the 10 categories, skin, I had terrible skin back then. I wasn't even tall yet. <laughs> then something interesting happened. <laughs> I didn't give up, even though I, I probably could have. I kept trying to grow and improve. And as the years go, went on, I, I began to get better at things. And what I noticed, especially in my early 20s, is that I had this incredible desire to prove myself to people. And so I would talk about my accomplishments, I would talk about the things that I was good at, I would, all of these things, and I was actually becoming incredibly prideful. But why was I being prideful? I was being prideful because I was deeply insecure. And I didn't understand my value. I didn't understand the way that God sees me. And so I needed validation from other people. I needed to have other people tell me that I was doing great, that I had grown a lot, and that I was improving. I had this moment when I, uh, I joined a Facebook group of graduating class, Knox Christian School, graduating class of 2000. And I wrote one thing. Oh, elementary school, I'm nowhere near the same person as I was back then. It's such a desire to, for other people to understand that I'm, I'm better now. My skin's cleared up. I got taller. I can do a lot of pull-ups. But whatever. It's insecurity manifesting as pride. It comes... Insecurity is so massive in this, and that's actually why the second point is humility leads to insecurity. We're now going to go to Luke 22, which is page 855, if you have a pew Bible. And we're going to start at verse 7. And what, what specifically we're looking at here is we're looking at what Jesus tells them and how they respond because okay, there is a massive difference between the two things. Also, I'm going to do something incredibly difficult for me. There are a lot of verses in here that I want to talk about, including the Lord's Supper. I actually did a ton of research on this this week as well. I'm just going to leave it all, and it's going to kill me inside, but I'm not going to talk about them. Verse 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare it, they asked. He replied, As you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters, and say to the owner of the house, The teacher asks, Where is the guest room? Where I may eat the Passover with my disciples. He will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished. Make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Oh, there's so many good things in there. 
For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you that I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, gave thanks, and broke it. And he gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which was poured out for you. But the hand of him... So this, this is where Jesus is starting to tell them something that they have been told already, but they're grasping it now for the first time. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as has been decreed, but woe to the man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves which of them might be who would do this. A dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. Hmm. And Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them. And to so those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves, as one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in trials, and I confer onto you a kingdom, just as my father conferred one onto me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. The Bible's wonderful, isn't it? So what did we have there? We saw Jesus says he's going to be betrayed. And then what do the disciples do in response? They start debating and discussing who's going to be the greatest. What? Like, there has to be some missing verses in there, hey? There's got to be, like, that's a lapse in logic, isn't it? Jesus is talking about, I'm going to be betrayed, and they respond by debating amongst themselves who's going to be the greatest, who's going to be considered the greatest, who's going to have the most books written about them. This is where they go from Jesus saying that he is going to be betrayed. That is wild. So we have to guess as to why this happened, but let's do that. Let's take a guess as to why. Those of us who have had young children know that when they get hungry or tired or bored, what do we see a whole lot more of? Bullying, yeah, fighting, all all that sort of stuff. Ellie starts bullying when she gets bored. We see a whole lot more fighting, don't we? What happened to the disciples in this moment is that Jesus was their source of normalcy, their source of direction. He was their savior. He was their foundation. This is what their whole lives were about. And now he's telling them it's going to be taken away. And they're scared. They're insecure. 
And so they begin to do the two things that people do when they feel insecure. They try to dominate and they try to impress. These are the two places that people go when they start feeling insecure. When they, they, they get easily rattled by the things that are happening and they feel like they have to prove themselves. And once again, proving themselves can take one or the other approach. And Jesus talks about these. He says... Uh, in verse 25, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those in authority over them ex- like to be called benefactors. So here we have people who are trying to lord over other people, and other people who are trying to be called benefactors. People who are trying to lord over other people is a way of exerting dominance. They want to exert dominance. They have to prove that they're right. They have to have things go their way. This is one thing that happens when we feel insecure, when we feel like we're at a risk of losing power or authority or status. We, feel, we begin to feel insecure and attempt to exercise dominance. And on the other side of things, you have people who want to impress people. When they begin to feel insecure, they start talk, wanting to talk about their accomplishments or they want, start wanting to talk about themselves and feed me and look at me and pick me. And honestly, this is where I see myself a lot of the times when, when I begin to slide into a, a negative mindset here. The disciples actually did both of them, if you think about it. They did both of these things in what they're doing. They're talking about who is going to be considered the greatest. They're trying to impress, and they're trying to exert dominance, both at the same time. Jesus recognizes this and calls it out for what it is. So humility brings confidence. Humility brings security. And humility brings opportunity. In John 13, something incredible happens. Jesus has this revelation of his value, and then he serves. Jesus was open to what the Father had for him. He wasn't concerned with, how are they going to view me? This is a little bit of an embarrassing thing to do. This is the role of a servant, and I'm the king. He wasn't worried about that. He saw the opportunity to be used by God to do the will of the Father, to obey the nudge that God gives you, and to go and do it. I had this a couple months ago in a somewhat significant way. I was driving through downtown Peterborough, and I saw a prostitute not wearing pants. She was wearing underwear, but she wasn't wearing pants. And... In my heart, I felt I should take her out for lunch. And I didn't, because I thought to myself, well, what if I see someone I know? What if someone bumps into me? What if this makes the newspaper? Pastor goes out for lunch. That actually probably be a good thing. But I didn't do it because I was scared. 
I didn't obey the nudge from the Father because I was, I was insecure, I guess. It also brings opportunity in the fact that we're able to learn more. One of the things I've learned the hard way is that when you are properly humble, you desire to have the right answer opposed to just being right. That may not sound like a big difference, but I promise you the difference there is absolutely massive. If you want to be right, you want to assert the fact that you are correct, and you try to prove the fact that you're correct, you're unwilling to hear the other perspective. If you want to have the right answer, you're willing to have other opinions on the table and find out what is actually going to be best for the broader community or for the situation that you yourself are in. It also allows you to hear different perspectives because when you're not worried about losing your status or prestige or whatever it is that you think you have, when you're not worried about that, when you're not worried about if people think that you're right, you're willing to hear other people's perspectives. And I was talking to someone the other day, and he said, it takes a superpower to be able to actually hear people with different perspectives than you. And I pose to you that that superpower is humility. It's also, it can be a very difficult thing to say, I don't understand what you're talking about. It can be a very difficult thing to do that, but I've found that that is an incredible opportunity, that instead of just going along with whatever it is, that if you just take a break and you say, oh, can, can you clarify that? I mean, so from, from my perspective, if someone mentions a Bible verse, they expect me to know what that Bible verse is. Uh, a lot of times with words, I don't know all the words. People will use words and I say, what, what does that word mean? It takes humility to do that because what I'm showing them is that I don't know everything. But you position yourself to be able to learn when you're able to acknowledge that you don't know everything and that you have more to grow. It also allows you to ask for help. You may have noticed in the story that John puts forth that Peter isn't willing to ask for help at first. He isn't willing to even receive help from Jesus. He says, you're not going to wash my feet, are you? And this can be a stumbling block for a lot of people. You, you want to seem strong. You want to seem like you have it all together. And, and that's, that's pride and insecurity. When you're humble, when you properly understand your value, you're able to ask people for help. I make a practice of asking my friends for prayer. I make a habit of sharing my struggles and shortcomings with my inner circle. None of us are perfect. We all need help. We all need someone to help us move or, or, or whatever it might be. But pride can get in the way of that. And so we've talked about that humility brings confidence, humility brings security, and humility brings opportunity. How do, we, how do we put this all together? 
the first thing that I've done is affirmations. I feel like affirmations are very important, especially if we take affirmations from the heart of God and from Scripture. So what I've done is I have a a list here of daily affirmations. The first one is, Jesus is number one in my life, and I live to bring him glory. I have several other things on there. Some of them I try to speak into existence, like I'm becoming disciplined, creative, and organized. But the second last one is one that really resonates with me. It's, my value is not connected to performance. I am a son bought with the blood of Christ. I remind myself of these things, and I encourage you guys to do this as well. And by the way, if you want my daily affirmations list, just email me and I can send it to you. But when you're able to align yourself with God's perspective of you, and on a continual basis, it is going to allow you to live with freedom to the amount, to the degree that you understand your value, not just from a head level, but on a heart level, really repeating it to help it get in there, to that, to that amount, you're going to experience the freedom that comes with it. So daily affirmations in that way are really important. I also think it's, it can be very beneficial to have signs and post-it notes around your house especially if if you're recognizing that there's an insecurity in your life, to be able to have those. Uh, I suggested to a friend of ours the other day to put a post-it note on on her mirror, girl, straighten your crown. And what that means is that she is to understand that she is a daughter of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And that because of that, there is a crown that has been placed on her head, and that signifies her value. And so when things get dark, when things get difficult, she's able to pull up her posture, pick her chin up, and straighten that crown out because she is a daughter of the King of Kings. And that is, that is a good reminder. Also, I want to encourage parents, uh, mothers for sure, but my heart for this is definitely with fathers to affirm their children. I have made it a practice of spending several minutes once a week to pray and affirm my children. And it's, uh, I've, I've said it before, I'll say it again. If I, could have, if I could only have five minutes with my kids a week, this is what I would do. This is, to me, this is the most important thing that I do as a dad, is I affirm my children. I affirm who God has made them to be and who he has created them to become. And perhaps when you hear that, you think, well, that's fine for you. Your children are young. My children are grown. Maybe. But I'm not sure if your dad's still alive or if he's passed on, but how precious would that be if you could receive a phone call from your dad and, and he affirms something in you? Hey, How much would you love that? I'm blessed enough that my dad does this probably once a week. He'll just give me a call and say, hey, I noticed this. this you're, you're such a wonderful dad, or you're such a wonderful husband, or a pastor, or son, or, and he just affirms something in me. It's so, 
Like, I'm, I'm, I'm nearing 40, and oh, I live for this. So dads, don't be afraid. Maybe it's probably uncomfortable, but your children, your children love it. Uh, second point is, and as I'm a pastor, you knew this one was coming, uh, to read your Bible and pray. And, and this has almost become one thing because we say it all the time, but it really is so important. The Bible is how we understand how God sees us. That's massive. And so when we get in this, we begin to see more clearly who God has actually created us to be. And prayer is our way of inviting God into our situations, to inviting his perspective, inviting his power. And so when we pray, we have more God in our lives. And that's a really good thing. And that's going to help us understand our value and not need to prove it to anyone. Lastly is to control your story. And this deserves a whole lot more attention than I'm about to give it. But when you notice and I pray that you'll be able to notice, when you're sliding into either trying to dominate people or trying to impress people, that you can remind yourself of your value and tell yourself a different story. Change the narrative of what's happening inside your brain. So what does a humble person look like? What what does being humble look like? I heard this really interesting story from Phil Heath. You may not know Phil Heath, but Phil Heath is a seven-time Mr. Olympia, which is basically who looks... It's like the thing Arnold Schwarzenegger made possible. Massive, massive muscles. It's, honestly, it's unreasonable and a little disturbing how much muscle these people have. I was listening to an interview with him, and he was talking about working out. Have you, has any of you ever heard of the term ego-lifting? Ego lifting is where you're trying to just like, you're, you're cranking up weights and you're just, you're getting it up there, but it's, it's a terrible form. So he's talking about the opposite of that. And he's like, I will be doing bicep curls with 25s. And then someone beside me who's smaller than me will be doing bicep curls with 40s or 50s. And they're just trying to prove that, oh, look, I'm stronger than seven time Mr. Olympia. And he said, and so the guy asked him, he's like, does that bother you? He's like, the Ferrari knows it's the fastest car. He doesn't need to prove it all the time. That's kind of what humility looks like. It's doing what's best because it's best, not to try to prove anything to anyone or to make a point or assert dominance. It's, it's just this internal knowing and a satisfaction and comfort that comes with that. So, remember, Jesus never really had to prove himself, did he? People would try to get him to prove himself. The devil tried to do it when he was tempted in the wilderness. We talked last week about how the Jews were trying to get him to do a sign. Religious leaders tried to get him to do a sign. And and he just wasn't interested in that. That wasn't the thing. He wasn't, you're not going to put me on trial and back me into a corner to try to prove myself because he understood who he was. He didn't need to try to prove to anyone who he was because he had this comfort. He had this internal knowing. That also allows us to be free of judgment. I should say that's free of perceived judgment. A lot of times people walk around worried if other people are judging them or not. 
But when you understand your value, you're not worried about that because you already know that you are approved of. You already know that you're loved. And so you don't need to try to prove anything to anyone. It allows you to serve the way that God would intend you to serve. It allows you to ask questions and not be worried about how you look, but actually be able to grow in that way. And the last thing I want to mention is that humility does not turn you into a doormat. It doesn't make it so that people walk all over you, trample all over you, and take advantage of you because you're walking with your chin up tall. You're walking knowing your value. Let's pray.